Now, what's up? Uh, this is uh, WMSC 90.3. It's 7.10 p.m., and I have uh, special guests on my show tonight. This is Japan Next Rock and Metal Pandemonium. Now, I have the band Saika. Now, can you guys each introduce yourselves and tell me your names and the instrument you play, starting with uh, Saika? Hey, I'm Saika, and I am the lead vocalist, and uh, I also play some keyboards. Keep going. Hey, this is John X on guitars. This is uh, Mark on uh, drums, generally. Greg on bass. Now, how long has your band uh, been around for, Saika? Uh, we started off, well, I started this band in December 2011. <clears throat> and um, since then, uh, we had a, well, we launched the whole thing on New Year's Eve, um, of 2011 to 2012 with a huge show with Hailstorm. And since then, we've been going strong. Tell me about the influences and, I guess, um, some of the history from 2012 till now. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> I wrote a lot of stuff right before the whole, you know, the whole idea even happened. And um, all of that stuff has since retired. But um, since then, my influences has cha have changed a lot. Recently, I've been listening to a lot of female-fronted metal, like In This Moment and uh, Butcher Babies, and um, also a lot of Manson. <laughs> yeah, I can really, really hear a lot of Manson in your music, but just wondering, do you have any uh, love for The Great Cat or Emily Autumn? Uh, I'm not too familiar, no. Okay, well, The Great Cat was like this really insane speed metal guitarist from the 1980s. And uh, she was just completely obsessed with Beethoven. And mm, um, mm -hmm. then Emily Autumn, she was another violin prodigy, but mm -hmm. she chose to pretty much stick with the violin versus going into uh, metal. It's and funny, yeah, because I am really classical-based. So I can see where that comes from. Did you um, go to any performing arts schools when you were growing up? Yeah, I actually went to high school. I went to the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts, but... Um, I majored in dance and minored in drama. And growing up, I did a bunch of theater. I did musical theater. And that's where the basis of all of my vocal tra training is. Can you tell me about like the typical set list you have at an average concert you play? Yeah, normally we have about a half hour to 45 minute set. Um, uh, most of the stuff is originals, but we have been throwing a bunch of covers in there. And... Um, those covers kind of rotate in and out, though. It's always based around the originals. Um, tell me, I guess, about your three favorite uh, original songs in your set right now. Well, the first we're going to hear later on on the show is Miss Heroin. And it's just because it everything about the song, for me, ties in. It, it starts with the theme of the song. The lyrics tie into the theme, the music, everything just ties in, ties in around this one hook. And uh, we play that maybe, it's one of the first three songs that we play in the set. Um, I really like to showcase that song though. And um, as far as two other songs, uh, the second we're going to hear is Love Sick. And uh, we play that close to the end of the set. And um, 
The third right now, and that's my favorite, is actually the cover of Sweet Dreams that we do by Manson, uh, just because of the crowd response that we've been getting lately. Now, do you try and um, do anything different than the way Manson did it? Uh, well, it's funny because the project actually started with me trying to replicate it completely uh, as far as music production goes. And so then after that, kind of like, we kind of just took it and made it our own, right? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, it, it's kind of took on a life of its own after a while. Um, we're not trying to <clears throat> nail it down to note for note, but just to get a really good feel out of it and, um, you know, just come across. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in the same type of uh, sonic boundaries that we play. I mean... We, we kind of go for it in that kind we get into that kind of mood and you know and that part of the set it just it just brings a nice moment mark like as a drummer mm -hmm. what kinds of things did you think about when you uh learned that you were going to be playing this song a lot of times sweet dreams by manson i i like sort of what john said like kind of went for like uh uh, imitating the feel of Manson, but also like adding to it so that it's not just a cover. It's also kind of like has a lot of feeling and, and kind of sweeps people up. So, you know, it is sort of like the, the brand recognition, like feels good for people, but also it's like a, it's like a engaging sort of song. It takes you over, you know, and the way we do it and the, you know, the way Jess sings it and how everything works out. So it kind of adds to it without like overtly changing it. I think just hits your gut you know compared to the original Annie Lennox version it just you know it's it's more metal and it's funny because there's a few people who don't even know that there's a Manson version of it <laughs> and they're like isn't that the Eurythmics and we're like yeah they're like wow you have such a cool take on it and I'm like oh thanks like <laughs> wow I don't say anything now just wondering what was your favorite period of Manson mm. no pressure <laughs> um period of Manson. I really I don't know. I don't know. Do you Any feel thoughts? like anything was ever able to surpass Antichrist? Not 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 in like vision and That's true. and scope. I mean it's kind of inarguable. I don't know. The gloom to glam transition, I think was a little ill-conceived, although there are some good songs on uh, Mechanical Animals, but that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mr. Bassist, what do you have to say? It's the Nazis. I, I'm, not a huge, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Man Manson. I love, I, I just don't know too much. I never got too into it, so I really, I can't. Yeah, he's kind of scary. Yeah, I'm kind of scared of the guy. Yeah, you know the whole cross-sexual thing. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God! The, the, the mismatched eyes puts Greg Jesus. off. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Sweet Dreams is a great song. I love doing it. Just the way that we do it is much, much different to me. It seems just, just so much. There's so much to the voice to the whole song. It's just one constant big ladder that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You and know? the reason why I'm such a fan is because of all the theater that happens. Like. As much of a hard rock band as we are, like I also like to bring this element of theater into the whole thing, uh, which is why I'm a big fan of, I don't know, like Gaga, for instance, you know? Did you enjoy um, Shirley Manson in Garbage as like an influence in your sound? 
Uh, actually, not too much. I, I have listened to some garbage though, but I, I haven't been a huge fan. I say if, if I could if I could add my two cents on that, yeah. like her her voice is sort of like Shirley Manson is sort of more like uppity and like kind of in your face. And I think Jess right. is a little more like sort of swooping and grandiose, a little more like a little more time spent on each note. But I mean, I I could hear like some vague reminiscence just because like it's sort of a voice, a female voice with an attitude, you know. Mm-hmm. Her so. voice is more true metal. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely it's not false to, metal. More to sure. the core. <laughs> now, the gut. what type of metal are we speaking about? Are you speaking of like traditional metal, like priest, maiden, stuff like that? Or is it like... It's kind of a combination with a modern twist on it, I think. It's, it's, it's a bunch of influences. I mean, we're all over the place with influences here. Literally and, all over the and place. And it just, it just, the way, the feel of it, it's just... Um, of course, you know, that's where it all that's where it all stems from. That's what I've started listening to at first, but then now my influences have become much more modern. So But it's real. There's no there's no uh voice correctors or pitch correctors. What you see is what you get and that's what you hear. Note for note on the recordings and live. There's no surprises here. I mean it's it's real. Straight through and that's that's the that's the power that she brings to the stage. Shall we uh, turn on uh, Miss Heroin? Yeah. Okay.
we went through a long process because you know I start off with the idea right and then uh, lyrically I can I can write lyrics for just ages and until I get the right thing it's not gonna go any further so um, the song stemmed obviously from the idea and the theme but also from a little synth that I have that you hear in the very beginning I just I was going through some cool synths and uh, so that happened and then it the song went through like three or four serious stages of like no I don't like that I'm scrapping that completely or no that chorus sucks completely and um, then at the end of it it, it took a, a good like three months to just to write and demo full on some stuff for me isn't like that some stuff is like okay it'll just come naturally and I love it when that happens that's the best ever that's the best writing sense ever but like Miss Heroin was completely different and I see it like that it's because it's more of like when I when I go through such a process to write a song like that it becomes more of an art form to me than just like okay this song came naturally so um so the demo was finished and then we went and recorded guitars at a studio called zero by one studios down in cherry hill i work with a producer down there named jason rutch he's amazing yeah, jay if you're listening yeah jay's the bomb jay's the man and so then the I went back. <laughs> yeah. Then I then I went back to my home studio, kind of mixed that all in, and then Mr. Marky Mark recorded drums. Marky Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Marky Mark Ludus oh. recorded drums. Ludus Wahlberg at Forbidden at Studios. Forbidden Studios, which is run and owned by the best Greg Scarlatta. Forbidden Studios. Look them up on Facebook. Yeah. that's the place to get your recordings done. All the local the bands right record way. there, and the quality is amazing. We got the best drum sound there, and uh, we mixed the drums there, and then we came back and put it. I then I did the final mix at my home studio, and that was that. Now, what was it like recording uh, "Lovesick"? Oh well, that that was in the early stages of Psycho. This was like. This was before Mark was even in the picture, and this was like even before we had a set drummer. So before Mark was conceived, no. <laughs> before I was a glimmer in my parents' eye. <laughs> so long story, but we don't have enough time for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that I just I had a drummer out in Florida who used to record tracks for us, and so I wrote the song and then sent it out to him, and he would send us tracks back and. That's even before I had any clue about music production, and I just, I recorded it, and I did it, and whatever, and uh, that song, actually, after I put that out, got the attention of Q104.3, and we got to play a whole show with them in the city, and they sponsored a whole big thing. We were in part of this huge contest with uh, Shinobi Ninja and a couple other bands, Jonathan Clark gave us free tequila. Cabo Wabo. Cabo Wabo sponsored the whole thing. It was a great night. Yeah, it was insane. Was that with uh, Eddie Trunk? Uh, no, no. It was Jonathan Clark from uh, Q1043. Mm-hmm. And um, Cabo Wabo sponsored it. We got It was VIP the whole way. It was great. But the best part was that it was all around Lovesick, which was like, I, I really didn't 
I didn't have enough skills to put out the best mix of, you know, my life, but uh, it didn't matter because the song was good and people like it and took to my voice and that was that. <laughs> I see. Now, um, pretty much. Let's... Okay, now let's actually try to hear Miss Heroin by Saika. Yes. Cool, cool. Now, pretty much, tell me if, how long it took to take that, the idea for that song from your head to actually being able to play it with your bandmates in practice and then going into uh, live concerts to play that. Um, so play it live about two, three months, just because that song was a work of art, you know, like I said. But uh, other songs, it's a little bit different. Some like when I when I write from experience or when I just have a sudden burst or sudden idea, inspiration, the song will come to me in like a week or not even even like a day, in an hour, and then I'll demo it and tweak it and fix it up and there's your song, you know. But, but that was like three solid months and then yeah. then we we demoed it first and demoed it and grilled it and then and then then we then we went to the Cherry Hill studio and that's when we really got serious with it. And then those those were with electronic drums that we used just for a baseline and mm -hmm. then and then it really came to life when we went to Forbidden Studios to record the drum tracks. That's when it really took on a new life. And yeah. We made our I just remember we have videos of that day. You remember that? And Yeah. That was that was in April actually, yeah. And uh I just remember standing there and being like, holy smokes, like, oh my God, this is amazing. I just, because Mark, the, when did we start playing together, Mark? Like, our first show. That was the first time I met Mark. Was <laughs> it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we played when we played the. We played with shows. Mark for the first time in, no, 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 in February at Dingbats. Hmm. And then, uh, yeah, then we had the Crossroads show. And then. Yeah, Dingbat, so it was a good And night. then, yeah, that first recording, though, of Miss Heroin, that was just, like, a moment where everybody was kind of just blown away. Because he got it in, like, what was it, like, one three, take, two, two takes? Three, maybe. Three, three takes. It was insane. That track is insane, and he got it in, like, three takes. But it was, like, partly that, you know, when I joined the band, Jess said to me, you said to me, like, just, like, you guys both were, like, it was before you were in the group, but uh, you were, like, just, <laughs> you know... Whatever comes to mind, like the more creative and insane, the better. Just do it. So well, we were channeling you know, him. That's why yeah. it was easy to like come up with something that was like uh, a little more on the complicated side. I don't know. And it was basically it was it was my druthers. You know, I got my druthers by just making it like you know the crazy thing that it was. And three we takes were, was just just kind of lucky, I guess. We were looking for like a dubstep drummer with a light show and smoke machines. Yeah. And it just so happened. That yeah. reference that John, the reason John just mentioned dubstep actually is because they found me on Craigslist. I put out an ad saying, uh, you know, looking to start a dubstep group with a live drummer. And I would be the drummer, of course. And that's mm -hmm. the ad they found. That's how they found me by finding that ad. So, you know, it just was total random like meetup on, online, you know. So kind of a miracle thing. Yeah, we need somebody that was completely off the wall on, now, the, on the fly. It's like a, typically what... I mean, what was your expectations for how many takes it would take for a new drummer to get that song right? Because you, you sounded really amazed that he got it in three takes. <laughs> well, we, uh, we used to have a drummer that, just, that could never do that, could barely play to 
the click track. But um, I, I always have high expectations for the players in the band because I don't know. I have high expectations for myself. So we've been we played that song for a while. So I mean, it's in it. It floored me, of course, that he got it in three takes because I didn't know like recording situations are different than live situations and rehearsal situations. But um, I don't know. I still. It, you know, it still made sense to me. Like, okay, of course he can do that in three takes because he's friggin' good. <laughs> what gives you more stress, recording music or performing it live? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> recording music, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, there's no problem live. Live is the best. <laughs> I, I can play live all the time, but the work comes in the writing and the recording. How how is it so stressful for you um being in the recording studio versus playing it live? It's not being like being in the recording studio that's stressful. It's actually it comes down to the writing because if there's no writing happening then that's it. Like there's nothing. So the when I when I get like when I get kind of like stressed out or something, it always comes from the very beginning stages of writing. Now, typically for like recording studios, like how far in advance you need to book them like the place in cherry hill you're speaking about well my situation has been a little bit different just because i have friends who are in the business and you know do this constantly so um when i booked the cherry hill studio it was like maybe a couple weeks in advance it wasn't a big deal and uh greg's constantly recording so (laughs) i was just like yeah let's just do it so it's like okay cool and i like after recording Miss Heroin and after recording vocals in other studios, my home studio is my place to do all of my vocals and I cut them and I record them alone because I just, I've found that that's the best place for me to do that. Now, what are some other important songs in your live set list besides obviously Miss Heroin and Love Sick? Um, well, we start off the set with a crazy siren intro and um, into the first song, which is a really high energy song. It's, it's called Psycho. And uh, that's always to grab the attention instantly of the audience. And that's always been my goal. In the first first three songs, you really have to grab and then keep the attention of the audience. And if you can't do that, then you're doing something wrong. So when we have the intro, I do my like a scream and that's like an, an insane note that I just hold for like eternity and that grabs everybody's attention in the room and um, plus obviously like what we're wearing I, I'm always in my four inch heels and just going nuts and yeah we go for total paralysis yeah on the, from the first note so the first three songs uh, the first one's called Psycho right out of the intro then we go into Beautiful Nightmare and then we go into Miss Heroin can you like have a voice or a pitch in your voice as high as like say Axl Rose doing Welcome to the Jungle let's say if it was 1988 oh absolutely absolutely (laughs) she has a very wide range you might say I see like what types of things do you need to do to yourself to actually be able to uh, perform those really high notes like any sort of vocal exercises well yes I well, before I sing, I really try hard to do as much vocal exercising as possible. Um, that's just, you know, my, my, my scales, my, uh, 
my lip trills, everything, <laughs> just humming as much as possible just so I can get really loose. Um, if, you know, if I don't do that, then I'm just praying to God that that first note is just going to kick everybody's butt like every single time. Uh, and it normally does, you know, normally it's normally it's okay. But um, also like you have to, in order to sing stuff like that, you have to be able to let go because there are so many singers that are just like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to ruin my voice if I if I don't just sing in my head voice or if I push too hard. So many people are like that. And, you know, you're never going to have that loud bell or that, you know, excitement happening if you don't push a little harder. So, I mean, a lot of vocal teachers might say that's, uh, you know, it's not right, but I just, that's just the way I sing. <laughs> what are some things that you could end up doing that will end up actually injuring your voice? Well, you got to warm up. And if you don't keep working all of your ranges and all of the different voices that you have, I mean, I have a very light head voice too, and I always have to work that. And if I don't, I might end up losing it because I'm constantly singing in, the, in that belting voice that I have. So it's just that you got to work all of the different spectrums of your voice. Do you ever like drink like any milk? before uh going on stage or something like that no i don't i don't really i don't do a lot of milk but i do drink a lot of hot tea jack, all the time jack daniels <laughs> I see. some some of the time <laughs> now does anybody in your band do background vocals uh where's the famous scarlata scream come on you got to give it to us you got to put it on air, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Get up to the mic. Yeah, we need that. The signature scream. This is the uh, forbidden territory. Give me a pad or something. You got a pad on You might have to stand up for this, Yeah. All right. So you're going to scream now? or? Oh, that was it. That was the warm-up. Was that the warm-up? No, I'm just joking. The what? Did I? Wait, you going to scream, Mark? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the background vocals. Yeah, right there. What we were just doing, yeah. Yeah, he's during certain he's in moments. every song. You should, you should see it. Okay. All right, let's move on. Now, what types of um, cover songs do you uh, throw in and out of your set on a regular basis, besides, obviously, Sweet Dreams? We play um, some Iron Maiden. We play, we, we actually had a gig in July with a, an amazing guitar virtuoso, Joe Stump, and uh, he plays in the band Holy Hell and writes for the band Holy Hell, and so we decided we're going to cover one of the songs called Holy Water, and I programmed all of the cool MIDI synth stuff, and um, John X and Greg switched guitar and bass, and... Um, we pulled off the song really well. So after that gig, we decided we we're going to keep it in the set. And we've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and Wrath, Wrathchild by Iron Maiden. Yeah. That's, that's been coming up lately. Mm -hmm. Now, pretty much when you perform live, do you have like a 30 or 45-minute set? Yes. Uh-huh. What types of things do you need to do to actually be able to get into the uh, one-hour to one-hour and 15-minute type gigs? Oh, to get into those kind of gigs, I see. Yes. Um, 
Well, that's kind of tricky. I mean, that's that's when you start headlining places and start becoming more of a national act. That's how I see it anyway. Like right now, I'd say we're we're more of a regional act. And um, in order to take it to the next level, you know, when we start touring out on the West Coast or just, you know, in, uh, across the United States, um, we'll be we'll be needing some longer slots if we're going to be going to these places. Yeah. Typically, with most of the uh, bigger bands I've had on my show, they ended up going no further west than, say, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And not often even to uh, Texas. Mm, okay. We have something in Chicago, and we have the Viper Room that we're going to play with one of our friends from Hillbilly Herald at one point if we ever hook up with them on the road again. Yeah, they they play out in the Viper Room uh, in L.A., so hopefully we'll be able to get over there soon. But, um, yeah, our friends in Hessler, they are out from Chicago, and they were talking to us about a House of Blues gig in Chicago, so um, we're kind of crossing our fingers on that one because that would be really cool. Are you looking to get acquainted with, like, more major rock bands, like, say, uh, opening up for, say, The Lost Vegas from Chicago? Um, well, we're looking to open up for larger acts all yeah. the time. I mean, ever since we had that, we opened up for Slash last September, like, that just kind of brought a whole new perspective on the whole thing. And uh, just to be able to open up for acts like that, that's th- those are the, that's the position we want to be in. Now, how did, or what did you do? To actually be able to uh, win that slot to be able to perform on uh, stage with Slash. Uh-huh. Um, we entered a Guitar Center competition, and we just had a couple of videos up on YouTube. And um, all of a sudden, like, there was there was a lot of traffic happening on the videos. And I didn't, I didn't really have much expectation about the whole thing. But out of nowhere, I was on vacation down in Wildwood, and I was on the beach, and I got a phone call from Guitar Center LA uh, saying that we had won this competition, and we're going to open up for Slash, and we won all these prizes, and it was just like, wow, I couldn't believe it. But um, so then, you know, we had about a month in between to prepare and get ready for this huge gig, and um, that was just... It was the most amazing experience just to be able to win something like that. Now, how many other bands were on that uh, gig with Slash? There were, do you mean the competition? Like how many other bands? Um, Yeah. First off, how many people were you in like uh, the running against? Oh, there was there were a lot of bands. You talking in the hundreds or thousands? It was Th- nationwide. Yeah, it was that. a nationwide competition. So there were thousands and thousands of bands. But... um. There was one band chosen for each of the dates that he was on tour. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it was like for every single show, it was only one winner. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Cool. Right. Tell me, what was your set like when you were on stage with Slash? It was just kind of surreal. Like <laughs> there, there were just like just the whole place was just packed, completely packed. And I just remember being there, and I just, like, took a picture in my mind of just walled-to-wall people. 
I don't know how many pl- how many people were in that place. There was about three thousand. Yeah, three four thousand people there. Um, it was. I don't know. And the set went by like that. It was just like, yeah, I don't know. I blinked my eyes and it was over. And and it was in this place called the Dome um, at Oakdale Theater in Connecticut. And so you looked up and there was just like this whole beautiful, tall dome ceiling. And um, I don't know. It was just crazy, crazy feeling. Yes. But I felt like, you know, I felt like I finally was in the right place. I felt like I finally was where exactly where I needed to be. Were you able to get a live recording, like professionally done, of that particular night? No, but there there were a couple of videos. We did have a couple of videos of that night. I see. So it wasn't possible to get a soundboard recording. Uh, not that I know of. No, mm, there guess. was there was too much. There was like just so much to think about, so much going on yeah, that it was like hard that, to. Think. We were kind of in the moment, really, and um, it was it was it was a really great moment with Slash and his whole crew. I mean, they they treated us unbelievable. Like we didn't have to lug all of our amps and. Everything <laughs> it was all taken care of. I mean, it was placed on stage, set up, and it was like a walk-in situation the way it should be. But yeah, but very, was, very. But we were very much in the moment, enjoying, you know, and uh, just mm-hmm. watching how it was done professionally. Mm-hmm. Now, after this slash gig, what are you trying to make as your next really prestigious concert? Um, we're kind of we're taking whatever comes, but at the same time, also pushing very hard for other opening slots with national acts. So whenever a national act comes into town or something, we'll, you know, we'll get on the promoters and say, okay, like, you know, do you have, do you have an opening band for this slot? And, um, sometimes you get lucky like that and, you know, we'll get the slot. And on the other hand though, we're also trying to gain a local following. So, um, the bigger we get around here, the more we'll be able to uh, tour more. <laughs> Do you consider yourself more of like a South Jersey, Central Jersey, or New York rock band? Definitely, definitely New York. What but not like, not like, I don't know, there's a certain... We love South Jersey. Yeah, we, we love we're... South Jersey, but there's a certain sound that comes out of South Jersey for the it most part. It seems like New York feels us more than Jersey yeah. in a way. Yeah, Manhattan, Greenwich mm-hmm. Village. We know. just had a show uh, on July 20th with The Agonist right in Times Square, and it was the bomb. Like, we had so much good feedback coming out of that place. It was amazing. Sold, yeah, we sold out of the CDs, all mm-hmm. the CDs. All the CDs sold people, out. People were autographs for, for Psycho and mm-hmm. everything. It was, it was quite a surreal experience. We were in front of the perfect crowd. Well, yeah, there's more of an appetite for hard hard rock and metal in the uh, in the city there. Now, what different venues have you played in, I guess, the city and the five boroughs, too? So many. So many. Uh, let's see. Gramercy? So, uh, Sullivan. We haven't played Gramercy. Sullivan Hall, Tammany, Tammany Hall. Um, Where was the Webster? You played Webster, was it? No, I've, we've been there a bunch of times. So. Terminal 5? No, that's that's right near Webster though. We haven't played there yet. Um, where did we play with Diamonds? Oh, we played in Brooklyn with a national act. Club Europa? Huh? Club Europa? 
No, nope. it was a, it was another place off the map. It was across the street from that other. I really can't. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a there were so many places, but we did play Starland, Stone Pony, and Jersey. Um, mm -hmm. Where else? Pretty much everywhere. We went around circles for a while. Champs yeah. in uh, Trenton, New Jersey. No, never been down in Trenton. Yeah. Oh no. No. Now, you've performed uh, in the tri-state area. When do you see yourselves getting to the Midwest, then the South, and the West Coast? Well, <laughs> well, we, we're starting. We, we really need. We're, we're starting to build out from here. I mean, once we, you know saturated this area and, and built up pretty good then we're going to start branching out as to when i see it happening within the year of course i always you know i always have uh high expectations and big visions because i think that you record a song and you get your hit song on the radio um people are going to take to it you can blow up instantly have you thought about moving your band out to hollywood no I actually haven't. I I think that we are in a good spot for what we're doing. You've spent some time in California, correct? No. Oh, well, never mind that. Not today. <laughs> um, I would like to. But only no. passing <laughs> through on the way to, ha to Maui, <laughs> I San see. Francisco, but other than that. Now, um, tell me about some of the uh, publishing you've dealt with. Um, you've appeared in several pages of the Aquarian Weekly this yes. year. Yes. Uh huh. We had a featured article in the Aquarian, and just a bunch on all of our sh local shows that were happening. And then I think like a little blurb here or there, which was very cool, by the way. <laughs> I always, I always love when we are in the Aquarian. It's the best. I get like five copies, and <laughs> yeah. What Being other in magazines? Print is quite, it's quite a rush to be in print. Yeah. What other magazines have you found yourself? Uh, Featured in? Uh, featured in a lot of online magazines, just random. Like, I, I love to just Google our name, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're here. Yeah, but you've done some organized interviews with yeah. different. Yeah, I wish I could remember all of them. Um, there was one called Pop Vulture, I remember doing. Pop Vulture Addicts? Yeah, some, yeah something like that. Um, what else? What else did we do? We did a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of magazines. I don't know. Now um now I've been aiming for some of the big ones. I always I'll send like our press kit and you know, just try and get in some of the big publications. Like say the Village Voice. Oh yeah. I actually I know somebody at the Village Voice, so I've been trying to get in there. Um there's also have we done the trends? No. No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> too many. There's too many. It's what a good problem to have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what other magazines um, in the tri-state area have you been acquainted with besides the Aquarian? Anything else? Mm. Did you get chosen a few times for some prestigious hottest chicken rock or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of cool uh, hottest chicks and hard rock fan pages that Starting are on Facebook. recognition there. And... Um, They've just, you know, out of the blue, they've chosen me. And then a bunch of our local following comes out and they'll say, like, okay, vote for Saika or, you know, all, a bunch of, like, female chicks. And then all of our following will just come out and start commenting Saika, Saika, Saika. It's the coolest thing ever. 
Would you think it'd be um, a good business move to uh, appear with uh, Taylor Momsen uh, from The Pretty she's Reckless? She's the bomb. She, she's the bomb. Actually, I was over at Water Music uh, where they recorded their whole album last February-ish, and uh, I was hanging out with one of her writers, and I plan on going back there and doing that again because I really, I really think that she's got a lot going for her. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I see. Um, how about the rest of you guys? Um, are you into her music that much, or is it um, not as hard for you? It, well, I like, uh, I'm into I like it, man. the Grinch. The movie, <laughs> but, uh, she got me into in this moment. You know, I, I... Well, yeah, well, yeah, Taylor Momsen stuff, it's not as heavy at all. That's the thing. Like, At first, I would listen to that like a couple of years ago before I was into like heavy, heavy stuff, but... Now it's now it's actually a little too light for me, a little too bluesy for me. It, but I still think she's really cool. <laughs> now, how far away are you from having like a debut album with like say eight to ten songs? Um, I don't. I I want to say like, well, within the next couple of months, I'm gonna be writing, 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 recording as much as possible because that's something that needs to happen it just needs to you know instead of just single after single so um hopefully like within the next six months uh that'll be getting off the ground now what will happen first do you think you're just going to spend all the time working on an lp or do you want to have an ep out first uh i think i want to have an ep out first would you say you're going to use Love Sick and Miss Heroin on this with maybe two or three other songs? Yes, I would I want to re-record Love Sick with Mark on drums. And um It's going to be the best of the best. Yeah, all all of doing. the songs that we're playing live, all the originals, I want to get up there too, plus more. <laughs> what other songs would you include on this um supposed EP coming out? Um definitely Psycho, Beautiful Nightmare. Uh, one of our songs called Slave. I would like to do the Sweet Dreams cover that we do just because it's different and weird. And, um, then and it suits the two us. That we mentioned, yeah. I think probably, Nick, like the set that we do now, which is like the originals, which is about five songs, it's like very contained. It's kind of cinematic. And I think like I would hope that we could do that as the, as the EP, like, just those those main like the main set like we do like right now aside now, from the sing aside from the covers you know. Now, what new songs have been recorded during your tenure with the band, Mark? Um, or written. I should say. What's been written? I I, I don't think like we've worked on a little bit, but not, nothing that I've that I've been with the band like as far as me being in the band has been has been what I would say finished yet. It's still yeah. like. It's still like in in uh you know in production I guess um so I don't know I don't I don't know if anything but there's a lot on the well, there's a lot on the hopper you know which now, is exciting to me. Saika, so. can you tell me a little bit about uh those other two songs that are going to be on the album besides Sweet Dreams? Yeah, sure. So there's Beautiful Nightmare, which is a really synth-driven song uh, in the chorus, at least. It's pretty cool. Um, then there's also a song called Slave, which is, um, I don't know. It's got a really cool groove to it and it heavy guitars, and heavy, heavy guitars. And it, 
So all heavy guitars <laughs> all the time. And it flows like right out of Sweet Dreams. It's very cool. It's, now, it's a mood song. What type of lyrical subject do the songs have? Um, I'm always I'm always pushing my limits when it comes to lyrics. I uh, I always like to take like just weird like awesome like confident sexy standpoints and <laughs> and put that in my lyrics. Um, on on a lot of my stuff just because that's what that's what this whole psycho alter ego thing uh says for me and does for me i get to kind of i get to be powerful and i get to just do and feel whatever i want to do you know so that's where the lyrical standpoint comes from which is which comes back to why sometimes i it's hard for me to finish a theme song like that because it doesn't come from an experience really it's just something in my mind it's just something theatrical i see now <clears throat> mark yeah when you joined this band did you feel like you had to have a more steven adler or matt sorum type style to your drumming i i recognize matt sorum guns and roses but who who's the prior uh steven adler what what, what outfit appetite and lies okay i would say um Gosh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, be able to make the most educated uh, comparison, but I would assume Matt Sorum. I mean, I, t I, I, I said to him John Bonham, uh, Neil Peart, and Keith Moon style combined. I said, Yeah, I mean, I, I come from a progressive or space rock background, or, or like hard rock too. But so I was taking like, um, I was taking kind of like. I, don't know, I hate to mention Lars Ulrich, but I, it, it did it did crop in there, like just just like you know, go straight for the jugular, you know, but also also use like the kind of like complicated, kind of complicating, uh, you know, inclination that I have to make to make it like sort of to make the beats kind of stand out, I guess. How about Tommy Lee? Again, I I, uh, I am not I'm not like the most up on. Uh, any any particular crew, not necessarily the Motley crew, but I would say that's one of the lesser <laughs> crews that I am up on. But I, I think Tommy Lee uh, stands head and shoulders above most people in terms of really giving a good name to drummers and to metal in general in terms of just being a wonderful, relatable guy. More towards Ginger Baker. Yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, I... I come from a classic rock background and so i i think you know uh ginger and you know how about charlie watts charlie watts yeah sure sure i mean charlie watts would do this thing where he when he would hit the snare drum he would lift his he wouldn't he wouldn't hit the hi-hat at the same time so the the snare drum you know would hit on the on the three and the hi-hat would be like just three hi-hat hits and then he would he wouldn't hit hit it with a snare and, and I, I always try to avoid doing that because it, it lets your right hand take a break when it whenever you hit the snare drum with your left hand and I like to really overdo it like I like to have real tension on the right arm all the time so in that respect like he has directly influenced me in that way like I mean I think you know Beatles and Stones like just great music all around and you can take a lot of inspiration from it on that basis you know now, with your band what are some guitarists you look at as influences as well? I guess where I started was uh, Tony Iommi really 
it struck a nerve and then it went to uh you know it's of course Hendrix and then later on Van Halen when Fahiba first broke out that was unbelievable you know and to date there's there's so many I mean it's hard to hard to really list but um you know the basis of it all comes from from an Iomi type riffs John 5 Yeah John 5 is one of the one of the standouts too what were some albums that you really looked at as uh, had a great influence on you, like growing up as well as being a professional musician? Mm. Mm. Um, well. Physical Graffiti. <laughs> Diary of a Madman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I mean, I just, I have a lot of like recent influences that, have just opened my eyes a lot. Um, a lot of I've been listening to a lot of Devin Townsend. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Just big sounding um, influences on the band, though. It's more of like in this moment, their latest album, Blood, just like insane. Just Maria Brink and her scream and her their whole take on writing and. Uh, developing a song not not around technical ability but more on the song itself um and the art of the whole thing that's that's what i really like and everyone's really dialed in and mm -hmm. the, the power comes from that when everybody's on the same page and we're all kind of going for it and it's it's just such an energy it's an adrenaline rush every time so that's that's where we end up now for bassists like who do you look at as heroes and influences? Heroes, I'd say uh, I say Billy Sheen as a hero. I mean, guy's been every every G three, Steve I, Pachucci, all those virtuoso guitarists. Anyone who could keep up with those guys must be the best. But he's particularly for me, I'd say I say uh, Ryan Martini from Mudvayne. He's a he's a great bassist. Too bad they're not around, but yeah, that guy's good. Slaps. I see. Thinking uh, more towards uh, the Jersey end of things, have you uh, thought about contributing to uh, Hurricane Sandy relief in any way? We actually recently have. Uh, we did a benefit called Cure for the Shore down in Seaside Heights um, at this place called the Beachcomber. And it was like just packed and awesome. And there was like a bunch of biker dudes on, and they came in on their Harleys. On. and. And then we were just playing, and it was really cool. And supposedly they raised a lot, a lot of money for uh, the shore during that event. And um, I don't know. There were a few bands playing that. There were, there were a bunch of bands playing that day, but we had, a, we had a great, great slot. We played, you know, pretty late, and it was good. I was glad to be a part of that. Did you hear about that contest? I think it was like... What was that song that uh, they were trying to come up with a new uh, benefit yeah, song yeah. for New Jersey? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I did hear about that. Uh-huh. Did you try to enter into that um, contest? <laughs> no, everyone's was like, enter it. And I just, like, this past August has been vacation month, so... Uh, <laughs> it was just like, I just didn't have the time. It's, there's just so much going on with with the band and with life. It's just hard to... 
okay, just let's write a song and yeah, we submit had it. Scaled you know, down since uh, June first, we were jamming every week. We had shows upon shows upon shows, and mm-hmm. blown speakers and sprained backs and broken strings <laughs> and you name it. It was all a lot of blood, sweat, <laughs> and tears. <laughs> About guitar amps gone, blown up. <laughs> During like a really rigorous <laughs> week, how many shows will you do in a week? I mean, when you're like, on like a real roll with things. Well, we'll do like two, three shows a week. And uh, but we try to keep them most. spaced. And yeah. The recovery time and travel time. And, you know, since we're t- it's hands on, do it yourself. And yeah. I need at least 19 hours of beauty sleep after every show. <laughs> so that sometimes cuts into like our like, you know, our schedule. But I need it. Yeah, and uh you know, if anyone gets on me, I just threaten to quit the band. So, <laughs> <laughs> works every time. So pretty much try to do it like every other day type shows. Yeah, I mean, we definitely need a a good recovery period. I I know I do. If I don't, I just well, we just took like, we <sighs> took a month off now to recover. So, I do yeah. look forward maybe to the day though where there are like rapid fire shows because in my same, experience, same. when you when you get to that point. You play, you play it so much. You, be, you you start to feel like Superman. Like every, you do one once or twice a week, and you get tired after you well, after you do it. But if you right. do it like five times in one week, like for me, it's just like wow. Like I can do this without any effort at all. Like it's amazing. Oh, like, so true. true. I look That's forward to that. True. Like I haven't felt like that in a while. So mm-hmm. is it like the same way for you as a singer, Seika? Um, yeah. Just because I'm I'm always about just constantly going, just never stop. You know, just uh, just. <laughs> I, I never want to stop, you know. So even if I do have to push myself, um, as far as my voice goes, uh, I don't know if my voice would like that very much, but my my mind does. So <laughs> no, that's one mind thing. over matter. We, we have we're going to keep control on our scheduling. Yeah. I mean, we need definitely like a space. They have to be spaced at least one day. Mm-hmm. Night after night can get to you after a while. I see. Now. I'm not sure if you're at this level yet, but can you give advice on this? For underground bands, can you define a list of prerequisites on what they should do before having a physical release of their demo or debut album? Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, you got to have, you have to have a very, very strong vision on what you want. And if you don't know what you want, then you have to take six months, lock yourself in your bedroom and figure out what you want and draw it and think about it and... Um, cause if you don't, and if you just go full blown into recording and even writing without having any idea, you're going to end up with something that you didn't want in the first place and you're not going to be as proud of it or behind it as much as you would like to be. And that's from experience. <laughs> now, how many other musical projects have you been acquainted with besides this one, Saika? Um, well... Before this whole thing, I used to do my own solo project, and um, it was just under my name. And I, like I said, I didn't have a very strong vision of what I wanted. All I knew is that I wanted to do music, and um, I had my acoustic, and I wrote a lot of stuff, a lot of songs. And uh, after doing all that, though, I realized that that wasn't my niche, that wasn't my... That wasn't my forte. So I kind of just let it go. Just one day I just decided, okay, you know what? I'm just going to have to 
just let this go and put it all behind me. And then a few months later, Psycho was born, you know, so. <laughs> I see. Now, what do you feel like is the smarter option to become acquainted with? Guarantees versus door splits? Um, well, the way I see it is that, a lot, well, a lot of the bands that we've toured with who are national acts, they are the ones getting the guarantees. Um, and then if they're nice enough, they'll, you know, give you some of that. But otherwise, if you're just coming in as a local band, a lot of it is pay to play and it's really disturbing and I hate it. <laughs> like typically, like let's say a band is cool enough to give you a percentage of the guarantee. What what type of numbers would you say people could hope for? Um, it all depends on that would be venue. one cool band. It depends on the band. <laughs> Usually, yeah. it doesn't go that way. I mean, um, it depends what comes in at the door and how many people are coming to see you. Usually, yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna monitor, and that's if they're telling you the real numbers at the end of the night. But typically, it's it's it really varies. I mean. They it's a tough, tough business. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta prove yourself, and you have to have a good following. I mean, if you're gonna have a hundred people following you every night, then then you're then you're in. You're good. You're good to go. You don't have to worry about all that. Then you'll definitely get a good cut. But if you're coming with you know ten or fifteen people, twenty people, it's just starting out. It's gonna be a rough road. And a lot of a lot of the places want you to sell thirty to fifty tickets just to come in, just to play. And the way we look at it, it depends on exposure. I mean, if we're going to play with Hailstorm and we have to sell 50 tickets, great. It's great exposure. It's a great night. You know, if we're going to go back out with Slash and we have to sell 150 tickets, that's what we're going to do. I think any band that is cool enough, though, to, to offer you, like, anything, you know, how, considering how hard it is to make money with music, like, I'm not saying, like, we would accept 1%. I mean, unless, like... Unless, like, George Harrison and John Lennon came back from the dead and the Beatles reformed and they had a concert and they offered us 1%, like, we would make a lot of money yeah. in that case. But most of the time, like, the band won't, won't insult you by offering a pitiful amount of money. Like, if it's a cool band, if they think you're cool and they want to give you some money, they're like, so, that was 10, 20%. Uh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Generally. You know. It goes back to the following. You got to build the following. Covers one gas, by one, you, know. you got to go out and make some believers. I mean, we, we got a lot of believers now that are following us around, and you know, we meet people in different places, and they they get attached to they get attached to the band. I mean, you got to mm -hmm. get out there and just play your music and and spotlight it and just go for it. If if not, you know, you're not going to bring any bring any new fans. But I mean, that's that's the whole thing. You know, you really got to get out there and play, no matter where it is. Just go for it. Definitely, you build a tough, tough skin after going out there on the road and uh, seeing like what some of these promoters are like, and I don't know what some of the venues are like, and the people in the audience. You just build a tough skin. <laughs> so if it's one person or five thousand people, we play the same show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> full, full blown smoke machine lights. We get out there and just go for yeah, it. We've played, we've played to empty places, and you know what? You just gotta. Take it and just say whatever. I'm just gonna picture this place as filled as that slash show. Now, typically, like I feel like with just about every band that goes out on their first tour, you're gonna lose money. There's there's no way around that. How do you judge like a situation where you looked at one night to another night and you said, you know, 
we lost money here, but on the next go round to this venue, we're going to tour here again versus this other place. We're not going to go back here. How do you differentiate between uh, things like that when you're planning your second you have to You have to look tour? at it based on the draw of the place. So we kind of turn the tables a little bit on, on, on the venues, too, and we want to see what they're drawing. I mean, are they bringing in a big act? Is there going to be... Is it their most? Is it their busiest night? I mean, when we went there last time, what did it look like? Was it a Monday night and it was empty? I mean, you know, we and and whatever places were easily accessible, and you know, it's there's a lot of um, lot goes into pulling up in your van with the whole stage show. You know, we have, we're bringing everything: bass amps, PA's, guitar amps. It's um, but basically, it just depends on the draw of the venue. If it's if it's a it's, if there's going to be a benefit for us for exposure wise yeah. or if we're going to draw from what comes in at the door you know but mostly exposure at this point we're trying to build a name and get out there and pound the pavement so mm-hmm. we're, we're more selective on on is it going to be a stepping stone to something else I mean a lot of times we play places and then it opens doors to bigger venues and then we continue how often do you have situations where, like, a promoter will uh, give you numbers that their club is, like, inf- more inflated than it actually is? Like saying, oh, you know, we'll have, like, maybe two or 300 people on, like, a Thursday or Friday night, and you go there, and it's, like, maybe 30 or maybe 70 people. How often do you get, like, deceptive numbers from promoters? Mm-hmm. That actually, it hasn't happened too much with numbers, but, uh, you know, they'll always pump their shows as much as possible. So you think, you think that it's going to be a packed show based on, you know, who's headlining, who's coming in. And um, sometimes it's not. And then you just go, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, we've had a anyway. show. <laughs> we've had a, one particular show in Manhattan that was, uh, or actually it was in the village where, you know, they told us it was a metal night, and we brought one of our uh, friends from our friend, our friends Lightning Lord. We brought them along with us to to open the show. And when we got there, there was a Stevie Wonder band playing. And, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I said, I said, look, when as soon as Lightning Lord sets up, watch this place clear out. I mean, and that's <laughs> yeah. it, they all ran for the doors. I mean, yeah. Lightning Lord's sort of like a. Uh, modern day Iron Maiden band. Yeah, they, but, um, they oh, kill they're it. They're amazing. Yeah, they but kill it. But it, it was exactly. hysterical. It was all the whole night. But it was a great night, uh, regardless, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, once the Stevie Wonder people cleared out, then, you know, the rockers who wanted to rock stayed in. And mm-hmm. like There are promoters who, who do tricks like that. Like, and Can oh, you give yeah. me, like, some of, like, the tells? Like some uh, of the tricks. Well, the the main trick, as you as you mentioned it already, is is like the pay to play routine, and and it's like if you if you the artist don't get this amount of people here, like you're gonna be in trouble. That's the that's the that's the attitude, and if if you're in trouble, like you're gonna have a negative reputation in the music industry. That's not true. And it's not true at all. It's like it, it's like those people who make who say that they have a bad reputation in the actual music industry yeah. <laughs> you know but in their in their head yeah. like and in their little world that they deal with like they'll they'll like they'll try to like ext- basically extorting money from you and there are a lot of younger bands a lot of yeah. new bands who who don't know any better that's, and who, who will do anything to do a show that's the crop that you want to uh, hit to abuse yeah. right because so i mean uh, like 
the greatest mm-hmm. thing is it's like you, you get these young bands in there like there's teenagers and then the kids are like to their parents you know we got to play this club and then the parents end up giving the money in and it's like can be like 100 200 bucks half like the these, month's these paycheck guys. or something like that yeah. Right, yeah, and right. the sad the sad part of it is that you get a lot of young talent great young talent that goes out there and then they give up before they even hit their stride or before they discover what they're really what, where their sound lives and, and because they have to work under these conditions you want me to show up bring the crowd bring the entertainment and sell you know and give you all this I money to play I get so mad sometimes because some of these promoters like you know you sell you sell a few tickets maybe not exactly what they're looking for but you sell the tickets you bring in your whole show you got your you got your full stage set up your smoke machines your lights your banners you know everything and then right before you play they just like to make you feel like crap. Like they just, oh, well, you didn't have the money, and you're just uh, like only seven tickets. Sold. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> only. Are you serious? Like I'm sweating right you now, and I'm in four inch 20. heels, and you're gonna talk to me like that? <laughs> I don't think so. Sorry, honey. So, like, <laughs> nah, not today. So that that's when I get really mad, and well, that's, that's when, when I start, we you know. really crank out the extra decibels. And, yeah. And Question: The thing is, like the guy, the person who will be like, I'm a promoter. You would think a person who promote who's a promoter earned the title by doing something called promoting. <laughs> but if you're the one who has to sell the tickets and you're the one who has to get the word out, and you're the one who's paying in, you're the one investing in yourself. What is that person actually doing? Like, so I don't. I, I tend Taking to distrust the money from you. Yeah, exactly. Band. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm bringing my grandparents they're, here, and they're, they're promoting their they're promoting their bank account, play, and then you're going to charge me more money. Yeah, yeah. You always see people's mothers, like and, and fathers, at these shows because the the, the, yeah. the kids yeah. are like. Be like, mom, can can you buy a ticket to my yeah, my death metal my show? show. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll buy some earplugs. Like, just, I need you to sell these tickets, or I'm not going to get yeah, famous. It's, it's really bad. <laughs> you know? So I always distrust anyone who's like, yeah, I'm a promoter and uh, I want to get you guys famous. You just got to give me 500 bucks. Some of these promoters, they don't even like make the flyers either. I I do it all. Like, I'll make all the flyers, like the online stuff, all of the designs and everything, and promote the heck out of their shows. <laughs> what well, what types of tactics do you have for uh, coming up with the supplies to make your own uh, handbills and posters? Um, well, a lot of it is just online now. Like, so much of it. Everything is just Facebook. Like, Facebook and Twitter. Facebook.com slash Psychomusic. Yeah, geez. We didn't, even, we didn't even push yeah, that tonight. Uh, yeah, so, so net goes directly to our Facebook because that's what everyone and their mother is looking at today. How many Facebook likes do you have? So um, that's where everything is driven. And that's, you know, that's where all of the flyers come in and all of any anything that we're promoting that goes straight up on the Facebook. Now, let's say you could um, have a genie in front of you and wish for the perfect promoter. What would they do? in the New York City area for you? Let's say you have a show coming up at, say, the Gramercy Theater or mm-hmm. some other venue. What would this magical promoter do for you that you could wish they would? Go out to all of the metal, hard rock, rock, anything of that of that uh, genre. Go to all those shows with flyers and pass them out to everybody and say, you know, we have the most, we have the best band that you got to come see. And um, 
I don't know. If I had like a endless supply of the green stuff, I'd just make CDs, free CDs here and there, DVDs, everything. Uh, just go to these shows and promote our band as much as we can. Well, if they believed in the band and believed in the music, they'd, they'd, they'd line us up with, you know, a good national act and we'd get good exposure and, and play play these bigger right, venues. You right. know, getting the chance to play the bigger venues. But that's the thing. you got to go out and earn it. you got to go out and fight for your spot now before anyone mm-hmm. takes notice. Yeah, there's so many bands. kind of get, It kind of gets cutthroat at a certain point. So many people trying to cash in, you know. How long do you feel like you need to keep on fighting, though? Um, I think it's just like until you until you build a following and you just break, or you, until your song gets on the radio. <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's the that's the light at the end of the tunnel for me. Is just to get the song on the radio. You know, on hit radio, on commercial radio. Yeah, let's actually take a break for a bit. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is WMSC ninety point three. Uh, you've got a. Uh, the band Psyka here. And if anybody wants to call in and ask any questions, that number is 973-655-4256. Once again, 973-655-4256. Nicely done. Well, as I said before, nine seven three six five five four two five six to call in and speak with the band members of Psyka. Ask anything you want, as long as it doesn't have profanity. If it does, you got to uh, hang up. Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> or be hung up on one of the two. Have you thought of um, playing any shows out in Orange County, New York? I actually used to live in Orange County, New York, and as far as I know, we haven't we haven't planned on playing in my home county. No, yeah, what I used to. What yeah. kind of venues are out there? Uh, I was I lived there until I was eleven, so I wasn't really into uh, the music scene except Raffi. <laughs> so, well, I know there's this place called Sound Asylum in Middletown. I've heard of that. Where was it, Middletown? Uh, yeah, Middletown, New York. Um, I know some national heavy metal bands come through there. I believe. Ramming Speed and Revocation have played there. And I've heard, I believe, maybe a couple blue moons ago, uh, back in the 80s, uh, Hallow's Eve probably played there. Huh. Sound Asylum, like that band that made that song, on the, you know, that Runaway Train song? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds Asylum or something Sounds like that. As- okay. That's interesting. But pretty much, though, it's, I guess, um, Central Jersey and New York City is what you're uh, trying to hit right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. How about um, something like, say, the legendary Dobbs in Philadelphia? How much time do you invest into making your name known in the Philadelphia area? Well, actually, we have a very big show coming up uh, at this huge horror convention called Parafest uh, happening at the Sands Casino in Bethlehem. Pennsylvania so we are trying to get out into PA as much as possible um we've been out there before when we played with Hailstorm in Allentown at the Croc Rock and we plan on going back to the Croc Rock because that's a it's a good venue um but yeah definitely cannot wait for that Parafest show 
explain what it's like actually performing inside a casino. Well, this is actually, this is going to be a first time for us. So um, I think it's at this place called the Vision Bar, though. And um, it's right before this huge celebrity um, horror party happening. So there's going to be a bunch of people like dressed up in crazy costumes and with crazy makeup, kind of like we are on a daily basis. And uh, so we're going to feel like we fit right in, you know, and we're going to have a great crowd. I'm just I'm really sure. Mm-hmm. Now, this is obviously going to be around October, right? Uh, this is actually happening September 7th. Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. It's a whole it's a whole weekend event happening. Have you talked to any other colleagues of bands like around here? What it's like performing inside casinos? Um, well, actually, not many local bands that I, you know, that I'm friends with have played casinos. So um, the only bands that I know are the national acts that have played casinos. Like, you know, Mohegan Sun and a bunch of the casinos in Atlantic City. How much time uh, have you gotten to uh, spend in Atlantic City actually performing? Hmm... We didn't. We haven't played we, Atlantic City. No, yet. we haven't we played, played Atlantic City yet. Farthest south we went was um, Seaside Heights. Yeah. That's that's we we concentrated on Seaside this summer. We were there three or four times. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, what do you think has or what types of casinos are there around here besides Atlantic City and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? Well, I'm a I'm a gambling addict, and I happen to know that <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call those casinos. Those are more like you know, like amateur dens for amateurs who don't. You know. Now, tell tell the actual real gambling fiends where to go. Yeah, let's hear this. Oh, well, Give it to us. I, I I I sort of a it's sort of a floating venue. Venue I don't really like to. Is that why you're always broke? You know, it's what you might call invitation oh, no, only. I got it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the reason. Thanks, okay, okay. thanks, John. Okay. Thanks, John X. Thanks. That's the reason. Okay, uh, I'm totally kidding. Now, are you interested in uh, checking out any of the uh, attractions at the Horror Fest? Like, are any interesting names going to be there? Like, say Robert England or uh, Kane Hodder or anything be some like that? Spooky people. Yeah, no, there's going to be a bunch of we're Clive gonna, Barker. We're maybe try to get our makeup done by these pros over there before we go on stage. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Some serious horror makeup. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, who knows what we're going to run to? I mean, it's just strategically how are we going to get set up in that place? You know, it's going to be it's going to be an adventure, but um, it's going to be great. We'll be able to check All out the whole festival. All of our shows are adventures. <laughs> it's like another one of the goals at playing uh, at the Horror Fest, possibly making an acquaintance with, like, say – Maybe somebody that might actually want to put you in, like, maybe a horror movie for, like, a song or two? Exactly, actually. That's the place to do it. When you yeah, wanna, If you ever want to license your music into a horror film like that, you know, that is definitely the place to do it. So Our studio guy, he's he set this up for us, and he's, he's uh, who is he with, Atlantic Records? And yeah, he's, he's working he's a rep with at Atlantic um, right now. Century Media. <clears throat> oh, no, not Century Media. No. What's, what's the film company? Lionscape? Uh, yeah, a couple of Lionsgate movies. He's doing sound on. Um, so 
hopefully like we'll be able to hook up with some of his people there <laughs> did he work on the ninth gate hmm. i i, I really don't i don't know. know he has a pretty good catalog of work that he's done and we're scouting some of our music for possible possible films and you know down the road hopefully we land some of those spots and give us a little more exposure and some good paydays too you thinking maybe something like a roman polanski movie that would be so absurdly cool it would be but i think we're headed more towards a rob zombie movie um from his yeah, connections probably. jay's got all the connections on the horror side that are really out there yeah i mean he goes he runs deep he does all the sound for um oh looks like we have a call uh what's your name sure there's someone on there who wants to say his or her name it's your mom hello your hello mom. call are you with us hello hi my name's lisa i have a question for psyka uh shoot your question yeah i just wanted to know how she came up with the name for her band cool uh, that's a that's a very good question, good question. Hmm. um well when i yes, when i first I'm here Yes, hello. There's an echo. Yeah. She has to turn. You, if you could turn your volume, the volume on your radio down, it might help. Call her. Yeah, like turn the radio, the uh, volume on your uh, Computer radio down. Or radio, whatever <laughs> devices. Okay, well it doesn't matter. So um, I came up with the name when I first started the project, and. I went from being very, very solo artist and uh, not wearing four-inch heels on stage and um, not going crazy to going crazy. And um, everybody called me Psycho. Everybody, you know, just close friends, family. So I just kind of took the name and uh, turned it into Psycho. <laughs> Any other questions? think the caller is coming up to date with a certain delay there yeah good question though i was wondering that myself yeah uh -huh. we, uh, keep it on the line or drop it sounds funny i think yeah. i think yeah. i think we lost thank her. you no okay. thank you <laughs> all right thanks for calling <laughs> thank Adios. you thanks that's a good story. You took okay. something what could be conceived as negative and you made it into something empowering yeah. and positive. Right. Yeah, exactly. I like that. An identity. Exactly. Well, excellent. Um, any further uh, comments you want to make on uh, your name? Um, not really. <laughs> no. I have a question for you, Psycho, actually. Yes. Do people ever, like, you ever have to clarify if your name is Psycho or Psycho, like... Yeah, okay, so your name is Psycho. <laughs> We're, you're going to go on at seven. <laughs> people just pronounce it wrong. They say it all different ways, and it just makes me so mad. I just want to like put a little, uh, what do you do? You know how they do it in the dictionary, a little pronunciation thing next to it. But um, whatever, it's Psycho. You ever get Psycho Psycho? No. Okay. Every day. She stays very sane. Permanently <laughs> insane. Oh, that's me. Conflicting that, yeah. reports. Yeah. Now, if anybody else wants to call in, that number again is 973-655-4256.
Now, anyways, what types of ob obstacles do you see arising for established musicians in the near future? Any advice on how to confront these issues successfully? Um, a lot of a lot of music today is it's just so independent. Like you can sign with Atlantic Records tomorrow, and nobody will care. Like you just nobody's gonna care. Like you have to really work hard yourself, and you have to um, have a strong vision of what you want like I said before, because that's what people are going to stick to and hold on to. There are so, so many people trying to make music or trying to make it, you know, but that's just much too broad of a goal to have. You have to know how, you have to know why, and then you have to also, um, you have to have your armor on all the time. And uh, there's so many people that say, oh, this is just a dream for you and whatever. And um, there's so many times where I have to just plant my feet down and say, no way, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to have a real job. Or, um, you know, I'm not going to go there and give in and say, yeah, it's just a dream because it's not. Because this is what I want and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. So um, you really, really have to be ready to get everybody all up in your face and you have to be able to push them down and be strong enough i see all these established musicians there so much they're just everything's the same there's just so many bands that just don't try to do anything different there's a one big band in the genre everyone tries to just build up to be that band but no one's really looking at the big thing like we're trying to do be different incorporate different elements you know like you see these just like with these metalcore bands, at least, I'm not saying we're metalcore. Like everybody's trying to be the one big metalcore band. There's not really a big variety. We're just trying to just be distinct and unique. What makes you distinct and unique? Uh, I'd, I'd say, first of all, having a, a girl lead singer that could, I, in my opinion, is the best ever. So no one could do what she does. And having the synths and everything, all these different heavy elements, all these like cinematic elements, like Gaga even. Weird. I think it's cool. It's going to definitely set us apart. How much of like contemporary contemporary uh, pop music do you look at influencing your sound too? Well, I always like to keep a pop format when it comes to writing music, so we don't have like five and a half minute songs, or we have a very very strong hook, something that gets stuck in your head. That's where the pop influence comes from. But when it comes down to the song it's itself, that's where the metal and the hard rock influences come from. <laughs> well, it's it's the melody, having that melody all the time, and then with the power, <coughs> the power and the adrenaline behind it. And never getting too carried away with technicalities. Always making it about the song, never about uh, the ego. And having that booming bass bottom end from that 1979 PV amp <laughs> helps with the 250. no DI in that. <laughs> yeah, no DI, it's direct. Now, the earth shakes. Tell me about some of the equipment you use for your live shows. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we, Lasers. We have like Madison Square Garden set up <laughs> all the time wherever we go. The van is packed. Um, my setup, I'll start off with my setup, we can go down. Uh, I have a keyboard, it's a weighted 88 keyboard. Um, 
backbreaker. It's insanely heavy. Um, and then I also have my wireless setup and my computer, which is the whole show. So the whole show runs off of my computer, which is all the synths and the MIDI tracking. And then my piano, my keyboard, runs through my computer for all of my keyboard sounds. So it's all at the mark to keep us on time. <laughs> yeah. Everything is just... Everything. Yeah. He messes up, we're all done. So. Yeah. 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 I think it's kind of an unfair burden to place on the drummer myself. Yeah, but you know, keeping time, I think it's kind of a bit much. Yeah, time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next yes. up. Yeah, well, the guitars and the basses, we're both, we're going with some old-school PV amps. The Ultra 120 on the guitar with Celestion Vintage 30s, and then we have the PV Mark III, I believe it is, 1979. Mark. <laughs> 215s. 400 watts bass amp nothing like it i mean it's it's really a monster beast to to drag around but the end result is incredible because we get a full sound and then uh what are we running we got les pauls and what's your bass spectre man spectre bass yeah with backups of course but um that's it on the guitars end and I've been using the same Pearl Export five piece that I bought in high school when I was fifteen, which was, you know, way back in nineteen. <laughs> um, and I use Peisty cymbals um, generally, and uh, Ludwig thirteen inch snare, and uh, that's all I need. Oh, and a uh, Iron uh, Iron Cobra bass drum pedal. That's the pedal, um, and that's it. None of that DW junk. How about you, Greg? What you got? We well, said it, man. Like, the Mark. We got the PV Mark. <laughs> <laughs> the Beastmaster. Mm. Yeah, just some wireless stuff, too. You gotta. And I, I use uh, earbuds for uh, for the, uh, with the, <laughs> for the click track that I rely on, without which, you know, I would probably die. I hope. Mm. Now, Mark. Do you feel like uh, ever just operating without the click track? <laughs> I uh, I used to be in my in my youth resistant to the concepts of clicks, but now Why? because it seemed uh, canned and artificial and and constraining. But really, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't I'm not resistant to it anymore. And it's a certain other kind. It's just another kind of playing. I mean, it's another like flavor i suppose and really when you don't have to worry about keeping time you can if you put if you're in the right mindset you can actually be more expressive and you can like there's an objective reference for like the time so you're you don't have to be thinking about that like it's it has certain advantages have you ever been uh brave enough to uh get into a recording situation without a click track or a metronome yes and once or twice i've lived to regret it um, in a pr in a prior band, we had a slow a slowish song that I I sped up towards the end, and we were trying to take four beats four measures rather of the beat and and drop it because there's a fill and, th and there was a fill in the four measures that I use, that I that I play that we really liked, and we were we were like just messing around in Pro Tools. We we're like ah whatever ethics screw it let's yeah. just let's just reuse it just cut it up and use it. But we couldn't like we couldn't. This is really fascinating by the way for everyone. We couldn't just cut it up and drop it because it was totally different <laughs> speed. So you know 
that was uh, one instance <laughs> where it was like, yeah, the click track on a slower track. Because I tend to get very energetic and energized when I'm playing, and I sometimes like, I sometimes sacrifice precision in terms of the, in terms of the tempo for, for like, kind of show offy, kind of fancy, interesting new sound. You what know? are like so. some tells that like you can instantly hear it when a band is using the click track? Yeah, backing tracks is one, and also when the drummer is super, super focused looking, and um, if you were to come up and, and, and poker him or her in the back, like they'd they'd like tell you to get away from them immediately because they're in the middle of something. And, <laughs> like they're very focused and sometimes very constrained. They usually stare straight ahead. These are the things I've picked up on, like playing with bands for fifteen years. Like you, you see, like you can kind of kind of tell sometimes they're usually a little more restrained. In in, in a, interesting way specifically so anybody else have anything to say about the metronome I don't mm. use or the evils of it <laughs> <laughs> i don't use it. I like I, the live dynamic of the stage i mean i watch them i follow him for beats and follow her cues on vocals but other than that like i like the live feel and sound mm-hmm. eventually i guess when we graduate to wireless in-ear monitors mm-hmm. i mean it's really just a tool and i i I would think like any drummer who's resistant to it, I would advise that person to just give it a shot and work work, you know, his or her way up to it because like it's just another like ability you can have. Like you don't have to resist it. Like it doesn't. If you have if you feel you have to compromise the spirit of of your playing and of yourself in order to do it, like you're a little too attached to what you're doing in your spirit. And you you could probably like would do better and you'd expand as a musician in or if you were able to to let go and actually like try to integrate it a few times and get used to it. What do you see as some of the pros and the cons of playing with monitors? With, like, in-ear monitors? Yeah. Um, The pros are that I can hear my, well, as a vocalist, I can hear my voice above everything, and I have the volume control, and it's perfect, and it's clear, and all of my, all of the tracks, I'm always completely synced up with everything. Um, The cons are that I can't hear or feel the live experience (laughs) as much as I would like to because they block out so much of everything. So eventually in the future, I want to uh, be able to, you know, ask the sound guy to put a mic out into the audience or something that I can put back into uh, our in-ear system so that way we can hear the audience more. The only, only uh, Mark and I use in-ear monitors. Greg and John X do not. How far away do you think that technology is to actually be able to have like in-ear monitors to notice what's going on with the audience? Well, it's just as easy as, you know, as simple as putting a mic out into the audience and then p- putting it into our system. But um, right now, uh, my system isn't necessarily large enough to fit, you know, a certain amount of inputs. So the bigger we get, the more expensive equipment we'll be able to get and uh the better the whole experience will be for everyone i see now why don't we uh listen to your song lovesick now sounds good okay let's get it queued up here we go lovesick by psycho
Back on the air. Now, uh, <clears throat> tell me a few words about the recording of that track. Um, well, like I said before, this track was, it actually started off as a demo. And then what happened was we just got drum tracks <laughs> from we were We had an outsourced drummer. Yeah. We were long-distance drummer we'd send him tracks in florida he'd send it back we'd say no fix this do that change that it was almost like we had a live person in front of us the way we worked but we were long distance it was the beauty of the internet we send him files he sends it back and uh, until we get what we want how do you deal with like having somebody that's a long distance in like a long distance business relationship and you can't actually be like, oh, you know, bring them into the studio and tell them exactly what you want. Well, he was very perceptive and a uh, very great guy to work with. He he um, he took our direction really well, where which was a great thing to start out with and helped us get exactly what we wanted until we 
actually had a drummer that we were happy with. Now, were you using a drum machine for live shows, or was it not until uh, Mark was with you guys that uh, you were able to perform live? This song wasn't performed. We were doing acoustic prior to any any drums, and then, no, then well, then we had a we had a drummer. <laughs> I guess it was just erased from. Right, we had it. No, we had a we had our first drummer, and um, he he carried us to a certain point. We we stayed on with him until we realized we couldn't really move move beyond a certain point with him. We needed we needed to expand the boundaries and and really go further, and we couldn't do that. We were kind of restricted. And then Mark came along, much like a spider. <laughs> wow. Hmm. So, Mark, tell me, what was it like the first week or so that you were in the band? It was, uh, it was pretty, um, hmm, gee, I mean, that's, it was, it was exciting because, like, it was brand new in a lot of ways, Thanks. and um, it seemed like, you know, it would be really fun, and I'd, I'd gotten out of, relatively recently, a sort of dragged band situation that is to say being in the band was a drag and it seemed just like a fresh take like just you know hard hitting and like not like progressive rock because like i have i have a definite progressive rock bent a lot of the time and but it wasn't it wasn't like progressive in that sense it was just like it was like when at the first con at the first uh practice like they were telling me just like yo whatever you want to do just do it like be crazy like be experimental and i was like uh okay so like a mixture of like fresh and and poppy and like upbeat, but also like a lot of room for me to do my thing. And it was like this is this could be really promising, you know. Yeah, we really wanted someone who could really let loose and uh, and be be themselves and and just go for it and and really, you know, we don't want to have to babysit anybody and direct them. We want somebody yeah. that's good enough to take it and run with it and make it his own, you know. Which, which really is what happened. Yeah, and, and I'm not like I'm not a metal drummer at all by any by any stretch. But I I have like been cultivating like interest in that kind of music, specifically Dillinger Escape Plan, um, At the Gates, and Municipal Waste, and uh, <laughs> one or two others like of that of that sort. And um, so like wanting to be able to express myself in that with that sound, that sonic like arena was cool, was really cool too. And that was exciting to me too. So now I guess wrapping things up. Tell me, what are some important shows you have coming up in the very near future? Well, we have that um, Parafest show happening at the Sands Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. What day? Uh, that's September 7th. And uh, recently we were just played, Miss Heroin was just aired on WDHA. So we are hoping for a uh, homegrown spotlight uh, soon, we don't have a set date for that yet, but that is on the horizon. In the next like few weeks, months, etc., I think we're going to tell me if I'm wrong, but we're going to dedicate to like uh, composition and a little more of that, like because we've been playing a lot of shows, so you a know, lot, a lot. <laughs> Parafest is like the main, the main one if you want to see us. Okay, excellent, and I suppose also, what are all the links and stuff to? Uh, keep track of your band well you can go directly to psyca.net and that takes you to facebook.com slash music 
Uh, you can follow me and the band at Psycha Official on Twitter. And um, right from Facebook, though, there's the mailing list. So definitely sign up for the mailing list and our merch store. Uh, so you can pick up some merch online. We have some pretty cool signed pictures. Uh, we have physical CDs. What are on your CDs? Uh, well, currently we have, we have what you just heard, Miss Heroin and Lovesick. And um, hopefully we'll be adding Sweet Dreams to that soon. And um, yeah, so that's about it. Any interest in ever putting out any sevens or full-length vinyls? Uh, well, hopefully, yeah. I mean, that yeah. would be amazing, but... Like that's all about like appealing to the enthusiasts. Yeah. And if you can appeal to them, then your investment can be really worth it. You know, so we'll see if we can ever appeal to them. We have to go for them. We go to their house, bother them, (laughs) tell them, you know, hey, hey man, (laughs) or chick, buy this uh, (laughs) platter. And you're like, hmm, I'll think about it. Is it 150 Mm. gram vinyl? Yeah. Well, maybe it'll be 200 gram. Maybe. We're gonna up the ante. Oh, yeah. We're going to do it. Well, any final words? Um, thanks for having us. It's Yeah, this interview lot, has man. been fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> much appreciated. www.psyche.net Excellent. Thanks a lot for coming, guys. Much appreciated. And likely maybe... January or February, I'd like to see you guys back. Awesome. Fantastic. We'd love to do it. Thank you. Okay. Well, 